child of the 80s. I was raised on juicy fruit commercials, frosted flake cereal, microwave dinners, cold wear politics, hypercolor t-shirts, and cola wars. While hair bands were in tight leather pants, sang rock anthems, screeching guitars, I loved Paul Simon's Graceland. Thanks to MTV, I was really sure that Chevy Chase was actually the singer of, of, uh, of at least you can call me Al, if not the whole record. Always, always, always in my life, there was television. At any time in my childhood, I knew what was on TV. I even watched things I didn't like, shows like Three's Company or Mama's Family or MacGyver. <laughs> hang on, hang on, don't worry. Thanks to SNL and The Simpsons, MacGyver has acquired a cult following. But it was pretty ridiculous, right? The, the trope with MacGyver is that uh, he, he's, of course, always found himself at the end of the episode, uh, like tied up by the bad guys, and there's a bomb, like, right, about to go off really soon. And MacGyver uses found objects like paper clips or heating vents and rope to hatch his escape plan and defuse the bomb, right? You guys remember this? If you, if you have not watched this in a while, treat yourself, go on YouTube and, uh, and, and check it out. I found some good ones. Um, I found one where he and his lost, long lost son are suddenly like, trapped in this boat and they, they, take, they make jet packs, like water-powered jet packs out of a wheel, uh, two wheels and of course there are two wheels lying around and, uh, and like some hose and the steam engine, whatever. It's pretty amazing. And another one, he takes a, a t he's locked in a bank vault um, or just outside of bank vault in the bank basement uh, with a, a, all the employees from, from the bank and they're there and they have just a little bit of time and they take a telephone and like one of those old in intercoms, you know, <laughs> that, and, and they, he like puts it to the bank vault door and gets the combo and just in time he like throws the bomb into the bank vault and closes it and explodes and everybody's fine. <laughs> the great thing about MacGyver is that he is always calm and collected. He's a non-anxious presence, as we've talked about in here. He might have seven seconds to defuse the bomb while his hands and feet are bound, but he knows he can do it, and we know he can do it. <laughs> MacGyver looks around, takes what he has, and saves the day. Today, Jesus pulls a MacGyver. He takes five loaves, two fish, and feeds over 5,000 people. A huge crowd has come to Jesus and his disciples while they were trying to get away on a picnic. It's, it's the end of the day and no one has brought snacks except for JC and the gang. The disciples come to Jesus and say, that 80s trope, I've got a bad feeling about this. There's a hunger bomb about to explode with thousands of hangry sheep. Jesus, in full MacGyver mode, asks 
what they have. The rest is history. 5,000 men, who knows how many women and children, all ate and were satisfied. It's amazing, particularly considering the circumstances in which it happened, right? The disciples just get back from this huge adventure. Jesus sent them away, uh, and they, were, they, he, they went away with next to nothing, right? You remember that? And they went out and healed people and helped people and gave people hope all over the countryside. And now they're excited to be back together, but they're also exhausted from their travels. If you haven't noticed it yet, Mark's narrative is tireless. We've talked about it before. It's always using that word immediately, euthus. Everything, immediately. He uses it again here and several times. Immediately, thing after thing after thing after thing is just so tiring. No wonder the disciples are worn out. So Jesus says, come away to a deserted place and rest a while. The disciples needed a vacation. So they hop in a boat and sneak away, but somebody sees them. You know, at this point, Jesus mania is in full effect. It's spread across the countryside. People are touching Jesus' garments. They're reaching out to touch him. They're screaming crowds. They're sending letters asking for clippings of Jesus' hair. You know the deal. Ancient Judean beetles. So people follow Jesus and the disciples and crash the party. They ruin the vacation. But Jesus looks at them and he had compassion for them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Now, suddenly, Jesus and the disciples have to work during their vacation. Last week, we heard the story about how Herod was in a bind and he killed John the Baptist because he felt like there was no other choice. Remember? Here, Jesus and the disciples are in a similarly stressful scenario. They could have easily sent everyone away and tried to run again. Instead, Jesus says, what do we have in the fridge? Jesus is modeling hospitality like we've been talking about for the last several weeks. As Nowen says, he makes space. He allows space where change can happen. Or as Boff put it, as we read about last week, he makes himself available to God. Even in times where scarcity seems like the only reality, Jesus puts his trust in abundance. After Hurricane Katrina, Mary Beth took, uh, she was teaching high school at the time, and she took a group of folks down to a town called Purlington, Mississippi. The Coalition of Disaster Relief Agencies assessed that all but two homes, every single structure, every single building, and every vehicle in Purlington 
was destroyed. Everything. She went to a church. She and her, their group went to a church that had nothing left. There was nothing. However, during their whole time there, during two weeks stay when they're there to help and begin the reconstruction effort, that church fed everyone, every one of those volunteers. That's amazing to me. That is the perspective we need. That trust in abundance. Five loaves and two fish. We need it as we address climate change. We need it as we think about the Supreme Court going forward. We need it as we think about all this Russian controversy. Five loaves and two fish. How can we pay for college? How can we fix our house? How can we make ends meet? Five loaves and two fish. How do I make my scholarship money work? Five loaves and two fish. That is what we have, and that is what we need. This week I got really into uh, the show Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee. Have you, have you guys watched any of it? It's really fun because they're nice and short. You know, I, I love the, the incredible uh, shows that have come out even in the latter years, but I really do like it. Do you guys like it too? you guys watch it? Yeah, it's great, right? Uh, have you seen the one with Ellen? So actually, so he goes and he meets with uh, Ellen. It's kind of interesting because they drive through parts of Montecito. Uh, you know, he goes to wherever people live, right? It's time, uh, for those of you who don't know, Comedians in Cars Getting Coffee is a show with Jerry Seinfeld. He, drives, he goes around seeing other fun comedians. And uh, in this case, he goes to Montecito and picks up Ellen, Ellen DeGeneres. And they're driving through, and it's clearly before, uh, before the mudslides, but right is after the fires. Um, Anyway, they're driving around, and uh, there are a lot of funny bits, including they have a flashback to when Ellen was first on the Johnny Carson show, and she wears just like this amazing, like puffy, crazy. She said it, she said it was inspired by Sinbad outfit, <laughs> and he kind of razzes on her for that. But at one point, Ellen asks Jerry if he has a favorite child. And he has a fun response to this. You know, I think we all know this. Those of us who are parents, those of us, we know, like, oh, yeah, we don't have favorite children, whatever. And he does something similar to that. But what he, he explains it in a fun way. He says that love is not rational. It's not like you look to your children and say, well, you know, I like that one more because they, they, they have more similarities to me. I like the things that they do, whatever. A parent doesn't love one child more than another because of the things they like about that child. You love them because they are exactly who they are, their child. You know them with that full love. Love does not limit the, what, what we have for one another. We can fully love one child and another one for exactly who they are. Love doesn't look like, doesn't, doesn't look at that five loaves and two fishes and say, this is impossible. We can't do more with this. We can't possibly love more with this. I feel the same way about places, although, you know, children is a better example. But I love the Grand Canyon and Big Sur. It's not an either or. You know, I can love both those places. And they're exactly, I love them for exactly who they are. But at times when we feel threatened, we forget about that abundance, that ability to love more, right? When we get scared, we forget the grandeur of the love that surrounds us. 
And that is what's going on here in that line we singled out from Psalm 23. You prepare a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I am in trouble. But you have me covered. You have me safe enough that I can eat. Biblical scholar Rolf Jacobson, uh, when he comes to that line, likes to have people ask kids who are in junior high about lunchtime, (laughs) what it's like to feast in the presence of people that feel like your enemies. I... uh, I had a different scenario. You know, when I was on my carbon Sabbath trip, I was traveling around the country, and I was in, uh, happened to be in Lincoln, Nebraska, on the day that the State Department was holding hearings on the Keystone XL pipeline. And, of course, uh, TransCanada was there. TransCanada, the, the parent company for, for, uh, for that project. And they had hired people... I didn't find this out until later, but they had hired people... To, to go around with video cameras and make the environmentalists, make the, all the, the advocates, all the people that lived in Nebraska look foolish. They, they, they were trying to get footage that they could clip out to make them look foolish. And I found this out by, by befriending someone that actually had a, the same bike as I did. And, anyway, she was a student and just needed the money, so she took this job, not really knowing what she was she was in for. Um, but she also treated me to lunch during that time, which is when she told me she was working for Trans Canada. So I'm sitting here, I'm spending my whole <laughs> my whole life, my whole year, my whole being, trying to raise awareness about climate change, and I'm being fed by the people who are not just like climate change deniers, but people who are there to lie about climate change. I had a feast in the presence of my enemies. It felt really creepy, really dirty, and really unsafe. And I I actually, I left, right? I put everything down and just left as soon as I found out. There are times when we are surrounded by our enemies. There are times when the work feels tireless. There are times when we are burnt out. But God knows how to work with very little. Jesus can pull a MacGyver. Five loaves, two fish. Amen.